0: I'm Amy from Brewha, and welcome to Brew Happy, the podcast that invites you to be part of a conversation. We're looking at how marketing companies and professionals can consider the bigger picture rather than being entirely focused on copy, product, and deliverables, and all in the time that it takes to brew and enjoy a cup of tea or coffee. So pop the kettle on, and we'll get started. Earlier this week, I had the distinct pleasure of sitting down with Jeremy Portier, CEO of Housing HousingLyn, looking at the branding and imagery used in social housing and also to have a chat about his experience in the industry. What follows is our conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Jeremy, thank you ever so much for joining us today. You have a long career in social housing. I was wondering if you might just be able to give us an overview of how you got started, what your interests are,
1: yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I'm really pleased to to give an account of that. Um, yeah, so um, I graduated with a postgraduate diploma in Law and Sociology. Um, and one of the things that really uh, grabbed my attention was issues around housing rights and social justice. Um, and I was fortunate mm-hmm. enough to, to get a, do some volunteer work in North London, where I lived at that time. Um, and then get some work with the law centre in Islington, Uh, in fact South Islington Law Centre, which at that time had a very active uh, housing rights approach, both to support uh, vulnerable people living in local authority and housing association stock, but also increasingly around uh, a private rented sector, which at that time was in many cases of poor quality. Soon thereafter, um, I was approached and had a job with um, Barnet Council's Independent Housing Advice Centre as a housing rights worker, and soon thereafter uh, was made director of that as a a result of a very fortuitous fortuitous circumstance that the then director left and didn't come back. Um, And for seven or so years, I worked very closely with the council um, and social landlords and private landlords to both widen the housing choices, but also to protect and prevent discrimination for those people working in social housing. So that rights-based approach has been right throughout my career, whether it's in um, local authorities, um, independent sector, and indeed I've worked for RNIB looking at issues around disability discrimination for people with a visual impairment and sight loss as well as for Anchor Trust uh, in corporate strategy to help them shape their longer-term vision around housing and I was very fortunate to work for 10 years as the lead change agent in the Department of Health responsible for both policy but also investment in local health and social care economies to um, uh, to really to extend the housing choices of, of older and disabled people. Um, so I'm sort of, a, sort of a, a, a poacher turned gatekeeper turned poacher again. <laughs> in that the the Housing Learning Improvement Network was born out of the Department of Health days, and in fact for for ten years, in order to uh, ensure the implementation of policy and investment decisions that we were able to make, uh, we wanted to support through knowledge exchange, service improvement, and peer to peer engagement um, how to develop and transform local housing supply um through um, a series of networks opportunities and the housing learning improvement network was the genesis of that Uh, and since leaving the department um, uh, we have managed to retain that independently through crowdfunding and some fee income work so that's a very rapid sort of uh, (laughs) career pathway
0: social housing is a delicate subject um, in as much as we are talking about people's lives and the very precious space that is their home. And especially as we are increasingly talking about an aging population um, and those with health needs, there is a lot to take into consideration with that. There is a lot to do with branding and imagery that has to straddle both the corporate element of social housing, but then also this sensitivity. What are the changes that you've seen throughout your time within housing around the branding and the imagery that companies and authorities have used?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think over the last 10-20 years there's been um, a shift in thinking around housing as a uh, meeting the needs of people who are highly dependent. Uh, in social housing, to one which is around understanding the lived experiences, the lifestyles and the living, um, and how to enable people to live healthier and well in the housing stock. Um, uh, And as a result of that, think of it not just as a a typical landlord function, but how we both improve the stock we have, repair and maintain it, uh, but also adapt it to meet changing circumstances over an age. So social housing providers have been really important. And bear in mind, you know, so our social housing in the UK is probably one of the biggest public assets we have. Uh, yeah. While a lot of it has uh, experienced sell-off through right-to-buy and we've looked at tenure diversity, um, we've actually enabled a, a broader range of choices. And as a result of that, we've had to look at the way we brand and market that to reflect both a, a broader range of customer wants. Um, and while yes we have a real important role for social housing to provide a safety net for the most vulnerable uh, whether made homeless or in um, uh, through uh, experiences of um, uh, harassment or uh, violence uh, we also know that um, social housing in order to wash its face in the longer run um has to think about its broader market position to both regenerate communities uh, but also support people wanting to make lifestyle choices or get onto the ladder indeed uh, as part of uh, of either employment or uh, to meet a particular need such as a a long-term condition or disability so i think the branding of housing has been very much moving on from a traditional um, dependency model um, rooted in sort of like the Cathy come home and really important milestones back in the 60s to one now which is really reinterpreting the narrative about thinking and especially with covid in mind you know what is the value of of our social housing to meet those uh, in need but also who want to lead um, uh, an active role in local communities
0: Mm. social housing in the 50s and 60s a lot of the marketing that was used was there was fantastic documentaries on BBC, and there was also a lot of highly specific information that was given about the buildings of estates and and the the houses in themselves. Now we're not we're not given so much of that academic information about about social housing, and of course we now have different mediums in the fact that we can market social housing through social media and of course the, the internet. How has the mediums available, do you think, changed how we talk about social housing?
1: Yeah, so I think um, we, we we've seen a transformation in use of media to portray uh, social housing. Uh, we've we've you know the classic fifties and sixties sort of um, looking at the squalor, the poverty, uh, the sink estates was a was a term often used um, in our housing and the disrepair. Um, and what, we, what we've really moved in is, is from something which is very much a static sort of capturing of, in a sense, an archive of, of, our, of our social history and social housing, to something which becomes much more instantaneous through both the different media platforms. So whether it's Facebook, whether it's WhatsApp, whether it's LinkedIn, uh, it's Twitter for example um, but I think the other side of it is it's also the use of digital and again Covid has really exposed this uh, significantly It's meant that the relationship with our customers uh, the residents the tenants uh, the lessees in our social housing uh, there's an opportunity here to be much more actively engaged uh, both in terms of the way we communicate to them about their housing options, around their housing rights, what their um, duties are and responsibilities are, but also what the responsibilities are of the of the landlord, um, as well as how we can encourage and enable people to be more resilient to uh, both uh, take control over the types of social housing they live in, either their own home or be participatory through tenants association, residents' association, or indeed any further civic responsibility So um, there's some really good examples um, through COVID where we've seen Uh, local housing associations and social housing providers, especially in the older people housing market, create Facebook groups so that residents can be kept informed about what's going to happen about the use of their lounge or visitors or safeguarding issues or, you know, coping with bereavement. Um, As well as things like um, social landlords um, sharing opportunities through COVID for participating in social networking online. Um, So whether it's uh, singing or distributing Food and the like. So, you know, I think social housing um, is a really great time for reinventing itself. Uh, And you may not be aware that this week is also a major campaign called Homes at the Heart uh, with the National Housing Federation, the Chart Institute of Housing and ourselves and others who support us really thinking about what is the both the language, the narrative um, and indeed the imagery, I suppose, the branding um, to demonstrate that there is a real value in uh, social housing. And what can we do to uh, make the case to government that when looking at the shortfall of housing generally in the UK, that a large slice of it, not 10% or 20%, but, you know, 30% plus um, could be investment, whether it's through um, government sources or other private public partnerships into further social housing, which is designed to a really good quality.
0: Absolutely. Over the years, you have been involved in some really quite amazing projects. A lot of them are very much focused on enriching the lives of the tenants and those living within within the project. So the settings and the and the target market for each of those projects would have been different. What was the intention behind the way that the projects, I mean, for example, you've got Orbit's Arden quarter, that was a very modern approach to retirement living. But then you've also got the integrated living at Rose Manor and, and Dora Matthews House that looks specifically at caring for those with dementia. And I know that dementia doesn't just affect those 60 and plus, sadly, start affecting people at a very young age. So you have this range of people that need caring for How is it that you go about, marketing seems like such a sterile word when you're speaking of people's lives, but how is it that you go about talking and sharing, getting people to know about these projects?
1: Yeah, look, um, I'm I'm very fortunate and running a network, we, we are able to capture a lot of practice that's happening and shine a light on that. And there are thousands of, amazing projects and individuals out there working in our sector who um, are doing it because they just know it's right what they do, yeah, but aren't of course. even thinking about how they market or promote or feature what they're doing. Yeah, We in we the network are lucky that we can pick up on some of these. So you've mentioned three in particular. So for example, um, the Arden Quarter in Stratford-on-Avon. Um, You know, the sort of what I like about that is not necessarily the the assisted living and extra care scheme that's been developed as part of a wider regeneration of the old cattle market there. It's that the local authority, the housing association, the architect and the developers and the house builder have thought really hard around how to create an age friendly community. So that whether you're living in the family home or whether you're living in the apartment block for retirement living. There is a continuity of living in that community which means that you jointly access the local retail the commercial uh, you've got the gp and the hospital just around the corner and you've got the like, Stratford on avon high street so it's a very Excellent example of master planning whereby integrating public transport, housing, and the community with retail and other access to amenities locally. Um, Orbit have created a really neat little product there. Um, on the one hand, it could be just opportunistic. I don't think it is. I think it's a very bit of smart uh, planning. And what I'd also like about it is they've created a brand of the Arden Quarter. Uh, which distinguishes itself necessarily from orbit and its mainstream group structure but actually distinguishes in such a way that actually you want to be part of that so that residents there feel that they both belong there but actually you want other people to have the attract and come to it as well so again it's a very smart piece of um, De- uh, longer term planning, mm. which where they can use uh, marketing and branding as a mechanism for customer capture, customer uh-huh. retention, uh, and I think the quality also is a brand mark uh, that they want to develop that scheme and have developed it out are based on the happy design principles as well, which the, the Lynn is associated with. So that's a really good example that you, you haven't come across. The other two have um, slightly different distinguishing features. Um, The Rose Manor, um, that's a scheme which looks beyond older people and also supports people with a a, um, learning disability and autism Um, and again recognises that the market is not just about uh, ordinary general needs housing, it's thinking about people who need a little bit more support and what is care ready. Uh, and again, working across the board, uh, this one, this one, particularly developed by the Sanctuary Group, um, they again has recognised working closely with the authority that the market for supported housing is as important as for mainstream housing because yes. the choices alternatively uh, from a housing market perspective are a, a greater drain potentially on our NHS and social services because the alternative would probably be residential or nursing care or indeed inpatient hospital stay yeah. and if anything Covid has shown us over the last uh, four months is that for those people in residential and nursing care especially for those who were uh, discharged from hospital uh, prematurely um, the continuity of care um, and the lack of PPE at the time uh, meant that there was a greater risk for people being um, catching catching coronavirus. Uh, Schemes like Integrated Living at Rose Manor and Dora Matthews for people with dementia are designed so you can safeguard the individual through purpose-built individual dwellings, whereby you can safeguard both in terms of the design, in terms of social distancing, but also in terms of the choice and control the resident has to let who they want to come and visit them. So again, some really good examples about um, thinking beyond older people as a homogenous group, uh, yes. thinking people about their broader care and support needs as well. And thinking a little bit about that is a really good question again. Um, we probably haven't cracked it. Social housing, by and large, still is what we call general needs housing but we know that there is a, an undersupply of good quality supported and specialist housing. And part of the work the Lynn does with other trade and professional bodies is to champion what's best in class. And part of that is for us to kite kind of mark uh, brand, but also I think give greater consumer protection and understanding what the quality standards are for both what's being delivered, how the properties are maintained mm. and operated, as well as what the future build look like, Especially especially bearing in mind not just COVID, but also things like climate
0: change. Yeah, of course. And with the uh, Green New Deal being so current right now, it's it's going to be a fascinating thing to to watch. We do have an increasingly ageing population and the, the figures are not particularly positive about how we are as a society going to manage that. What do you see the future of housing to be? in the UK. We have, I feel as an industry, we have responsibilities to meet the compassionate needs of the people that are going to be living in those houses. How do you see us doing that?
1: Well, look, uh, I think we need to be, uh, uh, if I had a crystal ball, uh, (laughs) I I, I, I wouldn't be doing this job, (laughs) but I'd be be well in, Um, no, seriously. We know that by 2050, 50% of the population in the UK will be over 50. So, as you point out, there is a there is a rapid um, aging population. I want to dispel dispel some myths in that uh, the majority of people living into later life will live well and healthily. Uh, probably not for the last two weeks, three weeks of their lives. They will have um, comorbidities. They'll have some real possible challenging circumstances. But um, you know, there, there is there is a There isn't a tsunami, there is an organic growth and the volumes obviously are are substantial. Most of those uh, older adults will continue to live in their existing stock, so whether it's homeowners or in social housing. There will be some um, who want, through choice but also perhaps through a health or social care need, will need to move to specialist accommodation. There is an undersupply of that specialist accommodation, but also there is an undersupply of wider innovative choices. Uh, And I think one of the things looking forward is that we need to free up our thinking around how we can develop more collaborative forms of living whether that is co-housing or co-living or co-ops or community-led organisations that can either provide the housing which is a growing movement here in the UK already but what I haven't seen is where there is a growing movement of community-led housing and care organisations so that where people can mutually buy into those schemes or rent socially And I think there are models that organisations like Housing 21, Orbit and others are are exploring at the moment, which I think will be market leaders in 10, 15 years time. But that cycle of innovation, um, as anything from my lessons of working within government for 10 years, is that we're now seeing some of the rewards of that through the investment and making, making better supply.
0: Yeah,
1: okay. What it may be is that we need to think about a future generation of housing for older people. Um, The government has been working on a project called Home of 2030, and I'm one of the judges for that. Uh, And I've been very excited to see the wealth of bids put in. Unfortunately, we could only shortlist six into the final stage, which have looked at both thinking about ageing population, but also intergenerational communities as well. So people who want to live with other... Uh, broader multi generation, intergenerational communities, and how our built environment as well as our homes have to adapt and change to take that into account. So, I think our industry's responsibility is to be more strategic. We need to be smarter in how we invest, how we uh, fund, uh, and how we build out. And I think we could learn some lessons from our neighbours in Europe um, as well as further afield. So I was privileged to to go to Japan in early 2000s to look at their housing investment and market plans uh, and spoke to many of the house builders who actually recognised that ageing population would be an economic driver for them uh, going forward. Uh, And so they were building it into their corporate strategies and marketing plans. Um, and and in the UK, we haven't captured that imagination yet, but I would not be surprised if our major house builders would uh, come back and tell us that up to 30, 40% of the build work they're doing currently are for social landlords, Uh, Where older people's housing is part of it. Um, it And and the other side, before I forget, is that we are expecting the government to announce uh, a planning white paper in the coming weeks, uh, or days even. what would be great is if we could see some incentives in the planning system to encourage local authorities to work with their social housing providers to better understand the demand for housing for older people across all tenures, and particularly social housing, so that the planning system can be used to uh, better market uh, opportunities for landlords to come in and invest into local um, housing economies.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, no that really will be fascinating to read when that comes out. You mentioned that there is a move towards the integration of age groups within developments and that that idea really excites me because I think there's an enormous amount of wealth um of knowledge and well and there's a, there's a real community that can be developed when you integrate age groups. I know certainly I speak to my grandparents about when my nan, for example, lived in council housing, and the thing that she talked about was this range of ages that she lived around, and how much that improved her childhood. And so, I think that would be something that would be incredibly supportive and also quite valuable to society.
1: Yeah, and no, absolutely. And I think we've got a um, we've got to reinterpret what people want. Um, you know, a lot of people moving into social housing in the forties, uh, post post war, who are now in their eighties and nineties, did so for two or three reasons. One is because they didn't have a home or it was bombed. Um, another reason was because of employment in a locality or being moved to a, a new town or or a locality to wear uh, new housing. But what was attractive also to them is that the goods that were in those houses, the washing machines, the kitchen furniture, the bathrooms. It was the first time that things like sanitation in terms of uh, good quality uh, insulation, um, wet proofing, sound proofing, all those sort of things, Our housing exactly. became issues which actually improved the quality of lives of those people substantially. Um, and it was the public health, really, that, that came in. And, and, you know, we know that um, Bevan was a health and housing minister. And perhaps this, we need to reinvent that in terms of thinking how we work collaboratively across all ages because one of the issues is not just about the design of the fabric but also the interior design the facilities and, and, the, and the white goods and the fittings as well and we need to make those more age-friendly so that people can age in place as long as they can um, so they can keep uh, connected with those communities that they've grown up and lived in yes. uh, and I think those intergenerational approaches um, are really valuable and um enable resilience to be developed in those in those communities
0: yes absolutely jeremy thank you ever so much for your time this morning it's been absolutely fascinating to hear of your experience and and um your time in the industry if anybody would like to read more about this or find out more information is is there somewhere where you feel that would be a good place to do that
1: Oh well look, there's probably two ways to do this. I mean do um check in the Housing Lynn website, um uk. That runs off the tongue beautifully. <laughs> we have a, we curate a dedicated um web page. Uh, and a number of resources on the very things I've been sort of referring to this morning. Uh, The other thing to keep up to date with the latest um, sort of intelligence uh, and information, either follow us on Twitter at Housing Lynn or sign up to our weekly bulletin where we provide a roundup of what's hot topics in this sector for um, for people, um, professional practitioners working in this field.
0: Magic. Jeremy, thank you ever so much. I hope that the sun continues to shine over your weekend and that things warm up a little bit again. And it's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you ever so much. Well, thank
1: you for your time. really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for spending time, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jeremy. If you have any questions or comments about today's chat, you can email us on podcast at bruharmarketing.com Or of course, you can at us on Twitter with at Bruja marketing. We've got rough transcripts of the episodes in this series on the Academy page of our website, BruharMarketing.com. That's where you'll also find links to articles and other interesting bits and pieces that I found while writing this series, should you want to read a little bit more. And of course, there's the links that Jeremy mentions as well. So I shall leave you to the rest of your day and look forward to sharing a couple with you next time. Till then, have fun.